before we begin. Let us all take a moment to bring our hands together to pay homage to the most magnificent one, our teacher, our guide, the supreme master, the greatest and foremost among men, among the gods, among the Brahmas, he who has transcended all material things, he who has transcended suffering, achieved enlightenment, and without stopping at that, shared his message of freedom from all suffering with each and every sentient being that came his way. It is because of him today we have the path to our own salvation. So making a promise to fulfill the task that he has laid down in front of us, if we are to claim that we are his students, if we are to claim that he is our teacher, our master, our father, let us remind ourselves the purpose of us being here and renew our oath, our pledge to ourselves and in veneration of the supremely enlightened one. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Can you imagine what it must feel like for a mother to know that her only child is in a burning house the whole house is ablaze and the only thing that is in between her and her child is a door but it is ironclad there's no force in this world that can bring it down. She has the key and she has to get that key into the keyhole so she can turn it and open the door and save her baby. But it's far too dark. 
and she can't see the keyhole. But she's got the key. So she knows what she has to do. She's got to slide it into the keyhole and turn it. But despite the house being on fire, it's pitch black dark on the outside. So she's struggling to get that key into the keyhole. She fumbles. She's trying to get it in and turn it. And once she does, she can save her child. But until she does, there is nothing in the world that can stop that child from coming to an unfortunate fate. And there's nothing else that the mother can do to save that child. I get that feeling sometimes. For better or for worse, I I've never experienced this state of this thing called uh, depression. Never have done in my life, and even if I did, I probably wouldn't have known it as such. But then recently, someone wrote in Father and the father who's had it for pretty much all his life. And apparently it's there's a genetic trait there as well. And now his young son, still a quite a teenager, is beginning to show signs of that. So apparently it's genetic. I, I don't I don't really know much about this. And he's seeking help. So once I got to know about this this thing called depression, I started to dig around and try and find some information on it. And that's when I started feeling that way. So I got some stats. Apparently, depression is the number one mental illness all around the world. 
Now, I don't know what a depressed person or someone with depression feels like. Apparently, being depressed and depression are very different things. But I've never been in one's shoes, so I don't know what that must feel like. So I'm not going to sympathize because that would be not right for me to do so, but I can empathize. 300 million people around the world they suffer from depression. Second on the list is anxiety. Third is bipolar affective disorder going at 60 million. Then you have schizophrenia. And then you have dementia at 50 million. But depression ranks at number one at 300 million. It's 50% more common in women than in men. So if you're a woman, you're twice as likely. to get this depression in your lifetime. And more than 10% of pregnant women, either during their pregnancy or postnatal, they get into depression. 10%. 10% of all mothers. Mothers who are the reason we are here. Hmm. And depression can happen to anyone. And particularly for people who have lived through abuse, severe losses, and other stressful events. They are more likely to develop depression than others. But reading that, I was sat there scratching my head wondering who hasn't gone through something like that. Abuse, severe loss, and stressful events. I mean, that's just life summed up, isn't it? There's a stark increase in the rates globally. And 75% of people who are depressed and live in, who develop depression, so being depressed and developing depression apparently are, there's a, there's a distinction. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I'm still trying to find out and find out more about this. So 75% of people who live in low to mid-income countries receive absolutely no treatment. And apparently, typically, it takes someone about 10 years before they are diagnosed. So they live in that condition for about 10 years of their life. And because of the social stigma 
that surrounds it. It's not usually something that one would confess. And therefore, it remains hidden. You know, it's not like a cold. You can't see someone. You can't confirm if someone is in depression because it's, it's, a, it's a mental condition. So you don't know what they're going through. And those who haven't developed depression in their lives, perhaps people like myself, they don't get it. So usually the advice that those who have get is snap out of it. What's there to be depressed about? And sometimes that advice is more depressing than anything else. And also the more, the older you get, the more likely you are to develop depression. So again, I drop my case. Who here doesn't qualify? Everyone's had stressful events in their lives. Everyone's going to lose a loved one. Anyone who hasn't had an exposure to the Dhamma will have a most loved one in their life. And that could be a human being. It could be a pet animal. Yeah. And it gets worse. 700,000 people die because of suicide every year. This is every year. 700,000 people. Most of it rooted in depression. And it is the fourth leading cause of deaths among those between the ages of 15 and 30. <laughs> so I dug deeper. As you hear me say these things out, I want you to think about what do you reckon the answer might be? Okay. Causes. There's no single cause of depression. It can occur for a variety of reasons. So this is from a reliable source. This is from the NHS. Uh, UK. It can occur from a, for a variety of reasons and it has many different triggers. For some people, an upsetting or stressful life event. I want you to see, I want you to have a think about why I feel that we have to step up our game. Such as bereavement, Divorce, illness, redundancy, and job or money worries can be the cause. Different causes can often combine to trigger depression. For example, you may feel low after being ill and then experience a traumatic event, such as a bereavement, which brings on depression. 
People often talk about a downward spiral of events that lead to depression. For example, if your relationship with your partner breaks down. So, can you read between the lines and see where people think the trigger for depression is? <clears throat> this is scientifically backed research. It comes from the outside, doesn't it? If your relationship with your partner breaks down, you're likely to feel low. You may stop seeing friends and family and you may start drinking more. All of this can make you feel worse and trigger depression. Some studies also suggest that you are more likely to get depre depression as you get older and that it's more common in people who live in difficult social and economic circumstances. So, you know, countries like ours are, you know, breeding grounds for this kind of condition. Stressful events. Most people take time to come to terms with stressful events, such as bereavement or relationship breakdown. When those st stressful events occur, your risk of becoming depressed or your risk of becoming depressed, depressed is increased if you stop seeing your friends and family and try to deal with your problems on your own. <clears throat> so these are the suggested solutions for depression. You may become, you may be more vulnerable to depression if you have certain personality traits. Hear this out. Such as low self-esteem. Or being overly self-critical. Can you hear the same word again and again? If someone in your family has had depression in the past, such as a parent or a sister or a brother, it's more likely that you'll also develop it. Some women are particularly vulnerable to depression after pregnancy. The hormonal and physical changes, as well as the added responsibility of a new life, can lead to postnatal depression. Loneliness. Feelings of loneliness caused by things such as becoming cut off from your family and friends can increase your risk of depression. When life is getting them down, some people try to cope by drinking too much alcohol or taking drugs. This can result in a spiral of depression. Because these are the answers that your friends might suggest. Depressed? Let's go for a drink. Cannabis can help you relax, but there's evidence that it can also bring on depression, particularly in teenagers. Drowning your sorrows with a drink is also not recommended. Alcohol affects the chemistry of the brain, which increases the risk of depression. You may have a higher risk of depression if you have a long-standing or life-threatening illness, such as cancer or heart disease. And it talks about some other biochemical imbalances in the body, which can also lead to depression. 
But, you know, I, I, the more I read this, the more I feel like that anecdote that I shared with you earlier. There's the key. And there's your only child who's burning. The roof is going to collapse at some point. And the child's going to die. And there's a door that is ironclad. So people, they try to do what they think they can to try and save the child. I mean, hats off to people who do that. Physicians, psychiatrists, people who invest in medicine and research. But it's ironclad. So you've got to use the key to turn that lock and open the door. And I believe we have the key. The problem is you've got to slide it into that keyhole and it's dark on the outside. Pitch black. So a feeling, trying to feel and figure where the keyhole might be to try and slide this key in And that's why I say it's time we step up our game. So then I did a little bit more research on suicide. <clears throat> suicide occurs throughout the world, affecting individuals of all nations, cultures, religions, genders and classes. Innate factors such as disorders of the mind and abnormalities at birth can heighten someone's propensity for experiencing depression, whether as an occasional episode or a lifelong ailment. To lower the rates of deaths resulting from suicide, countries need to address many common underlying factors. Depression rates are one factor that holds serious importance, but other factors to take into consideration are academic performance, so parents keep on pushing those children. Physical conditions. Hmm? When your friends tell you, you you're not good enough. Hmm? You're not tall enough. You're not short enough. You're not big enough. You don't look the part. You don't look the Barbie doll. Mental health and well-being. Economic standing. Financial struggles. Workplace performance. And overall life satisfaction. So there's a country called Lesotho. Not one I'd heard before. 72.4 people per 100,000 people commit suicide. That's the highest on the list. Guyana. South Korea comes in at number four. Some of the more familiar names. Lithuania comes in at number seven. Russia comes in at number nine. South Africa comes in at number ten. And apparently it's huge in Belgium, in the Western European part of the world.
According to the World Health Organization, the suicide rate in South Korea is the fourth highest in the world. One factor in its high suicide rate, listen to this, is suicides among the elderly. Okay? Traditionally, children have been expected to care for their aging parents. However, because this system has mostly disappeared in the 21st century, many older adults commit suicide. Parents. For what sin? For having brought their children into this world? rather than feel like they're a financial burden on their families. I can't believe this. In addition to the elderly, students have higher than average suicide rates, at least partly because they feel high levels of pressure to succeed academically. And when they do not achieve their goals, they may feel that they have dishonored their families. One of the most common methods of committing suicide in South Korea is poisoning via carbon monoxide. I mean, that is premeditated. Right? So just think about all the planning that has to go in to doing something like that. Additionally, many choose to jump off a bridge. In Seoul, the Mapo Bridge has earned the nickname the Bridge of Death, or Suicide Bridge, because of how many people jump off it. The government of South Korea is making efforts to curb the suicide pandemic, so epidemic, beg your pardon. It strives to increase mental health care access. So are we. We're learning Korean. A necessity as 90% of suicide victims in South Korea may have a diagnosable and treatable mental health condition. Next up we have Japan. Japan's total numbers place it significantly outside the top 10, but suicide is nonetheless a serious concern there. Suicide is the leading cause of death in men between the ages of 20 to 44. So if they, when, when they did the survey of men between that age, in that age group, at top spot as to why they die is suicide. And women between the ages of 15 and 34. Japanese men are twice as likely to commit suicide as their female counterparts, particularly after a divorce. Of particular concern is suicide among men who have recently lost their jobs and are no longer able to provide for their families. So what happens to the family? I mean, you know, I don't blame them because someone who considers suicide is, you know, they've come to the end of their tether. And they feel that the answer to their life's problems is ending their life. 
People are expected to stay married to a single person and stay on a single job for their entire life and the pressure of this expectation can make a divorce or job loss feel like a failure. Okigahara Forest at the base of Japan's Mount Fuji is a hotspot for suicides as hundreds of people go there each year to end their lives. Have you heard enough? <laughs> 300 million people. And 700,000 people commit suicide every year. 300 million depressed. And you see... The causes they bring up, loneliness, stressful events, family history, these things. As I said, we've got the key. And we need to slide that key into that keyhole. That's the part that is keeping us from saving these people. So this is why I ask you all, especially the young children, you know, learn a language. These people need help. I didn't realize that depression was, you know, that serious a problem. I thought drugs was a problem. I knew alcohol was a problem. But I didn't realize that depression was such a, such a problem. And the... You know, I, I now feel like I've, you know, I'm at shame because I've got the answer. I have the answer. It is not loneliness that leads one to depression. That is just the external event. It is your response to external events that determine the outcome. So when people are empowered to make the right decisions, when they have the Dhamma, now they can make a more informed choice, can't they? You can't tell me that someone who chooses death over life is someone who's making an informed choice. They are not informed. What are they not informed of? In one word, truth. That is what they're not informed of, the truth. So we need to step up our game. Anagarika Mahatmis, 50% more likely women to develop depression than men. And I doubt I can get as close as I need to be to them to help them, but you can. Do you hear your calling? We all have a big part to play, ladies and gentlemen. You know, they are all 
innocent people mothers fathers just you know just look at that right a, a parent does everything he or she can to bring up a child feed it shelter it take care of it right and then because of the social situation everyone's just too busy right and the financial pressures of everything a parent chooses to take their own life then give the child an opportunity to swim in an ocean of merits by looking after that parent even that is lost see with a situation like this you know where do people have an opportunity to at least earn some merits and you know what happens is usually when this happens in one family that you know of right then it 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 you know picks up doesn't it it picks on and then someone else gets to find out about it also is that the answer that they chose so that seems like an easy option all because they don't have the truth who's responsible for that there must be lots of research going into this this sort of work you know to try and save these people mental health research and drugs and all sorts of research into you know medical advances that can be made to save these people and it must cost a fortune maybe millions maybe billions for the drugs you know and, and so on to help cure these conditions but how much does it take to feed a monk How much does it take you to feed a monk? I think less than it takes to feed a monkey. So we need to do something. I want to retire at the age of 40. Even as a lay person I, that was the age I chose to retire and I did all planned up planned out by the financial standing I needed for that the security I needed for that and everything was sorted and then Deshakutuma came into my life and changed me for the better. and then even as a monk i thought right by 40 i should retire and then i see this stuff <laughs> so i'm going to start to do some research on this on this stuff what is this depression how does it affect people because I, although i know i have the answer you know we've got to dress it up in a way that people are receptive to it sometimes you know if people see it coming from a monk they're not ready to listen to it sometimes they see me bring my hands together and say namo tassa bhagavato and they're not interested after that so i think 
now I need to try and work out, we need to try and figure out, all together, all of us, we need to try and figure out how do we take this message, the truth, to these innocent people who are suffering and their only sin is not knowing the truth. All of them have merits. It is down to us to draw on them and help save these lives. And then, you know, these are lives that can go on to become ambassadors for the truth, can't they? You know, if you save someone, then they become an ambassador because they know what it was that saved them, like what I'm doing today, like what you're doing today. Once you are saved, you go on to save. Yeah. Mending minds and healing hearts, that's what we do. So, I feel like that is the next thing on my agenda. I need to help, I need to help these people. So depression, they're coming to get you. It's time to wage war. Because we have the answer. People needn't suffer like this. Each of these men, women, children now, you know, age 10, depressed. Age 10? Depression? And, you know, of course you know, right, uh, the way the world's going, right, more and more parents have to keep pushing their children for academic success, right, and there's a lot more competition than there was when we were younger, right, because now it's not, it's, things, are, things are not local, everything's just so global, so now your competition is not just uh, your classmates, is it? It's not enough to become top in class now, you've got to be? Top all island. Huh? That's when you get those good places, good grades and positions. And then it's not enough to be all island, first ranker. You've got to be international. You've got to be top of the world. You've got to be number one. That's when you get the jobs. That's when you get those opportunities. So you see, as the world has become more and more global, as globalization has it caught on, right, the innocent parents and their children who used to live in the villages, maybe, disconnected from all those things that are going on outside, they were sucked in. And now they've got no choice. You have to be in it to win it. You've got to be there. It's very difficult to opt out of it. Just think about yourselves as parents. You know, is it, re is, it, is it so easy to opt out of that competition? No, it's not. Because if you're there, you've got to be someone. Society expects it of your children. Hmm? Your relations will expect it of you to do it for your children. If you have siblings, they will come ask you. You know, my, my son came second. What did your son come? then you'll have to have an, a reasonable answer. It's very difficult to say, you know, you know, we are not in that rat race. They'll think you're mad. So everything's so global now, and, you know, the, the, the platform has just enlarged by so many fold, and 
This is, a, as I said, a breeding ground for depression and similar conditions. Anxiety was number two. Stress, <laughs> we have the answer. Number, I think, uh, where was it? Was it depression? Australia and the United States, they, they are tied in terms of their rank globally. 10% of the U.S. population have developed depression. 10% of the U.S. population. So that's every 10 people you see, one of them will have developed depression. 800,000 people in Sri Lanka have depression. And we only have a population of 20 million or so. 800,000 of them have depression. That's just locally, right? But you see the size of this problem, and it's only going to get worse. So we have something to do. We have something big to do. And we all together, we need to do something about this because we have the answer. So I was thinking to myself, you know, I want to find out more about this. And at some point, I'll probably make an invitation out to individuals who have been diagnosed as clinically depressed, just so I can speak to them and find out a little bit more about what it feels like and what that is like. What is this depression like? So when I come to you, do extend your support so we can help together. We can help as many people as we can. Because as I said, I've got the answer, but I need to know how to package it, how to wrap it up, how to, you know, do we give it as a uh, as a pill or do we give it as uh, an IV injection? Huh? How do we how do we give this drug? You all understand that the basic science behind this is in the Dhamma, right? Think about some of these problems that they're talking about. Right? Stressful events trigger depression. Are there such things called stressful events? No, there are stressful outcomes. There are stressful responses. But there's no such thing called a stressful event. Events are events, are events. They're just events. There are no stressful events. Think about loneliness, one of the key players that lead to depression. Loneliness means you when you're feeling when you feel alone. For you to feel alone, you gotta feel that you are someone, right? And then you've got no one else to be with you, to talk to, to share a smile. Hmm? But in the Dhamma we have the answers. You are no one to be looking to be with someone. You see, the answers are there. We have the answers. Bereavement. A loss of a loved one. Right? All this because you see that you are someone and then there are others out there 
that's my friend, that's my pet cat, my pet dog, hmm? my best friend, my cousin, my aunt, my uncle, my mother, my father. Aren't they all instances of separation of the mind? So once that happens, how do you stop? Then you feel death, disease and decay. These are all parts of 11 great fires. 11 great fires are all based in one thing, suffering. So there is no reason really that is not rooted in the Buddha's teachings. That is why I say we are fully equipped with all the answers to help these innocent people. But we need the power of language. I mean, if I have to travel the world, I'll do so with, of course, my teacher's blessings and permission. Because these people, they need help. I don't have all the time in the world. Our days are numbered. And we all have that. But I think if we work together, then we can say that depression, your days are numbered. So we have to make a start. So I'm going to do some digging. I'm going to do some research on how, how, how this affects people. And if there are people who are listening to this talk online, perhaps, you know, maybe in those parts of the world where this has become an epidemic, where you're more affected than others, then please do write in. Just uh, share with us your experience. So, so I can, I can understand how we can pitch this. Not just to people who believe and accept Buddhist philosophy, but particularly to those who that might be an extra challenge. Right? So there may be those who are non-Buddhist, non-religious even. So we, you know, even they are. Who does depression belong to? Buddhists or Christians or Muslims? Hmm? Then who does the answer belong to? Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus or Christians? If depression affects all, then the answer belongs to all. Doesn't it? And if the answer is in Buddhist philosophy, then Buddhist philosophy belongs to belongs to all. So you may not like to call it Buddhist philosophy, fine, just call it philosophy then. If you don't like to call it philosophy, fine, call it science. Call it what you may. Please ignore the devotion that I have towards my master. That is none of your concern. That is simply my own piety towards my teacher, my master, my sastranuhansi. Ignore all that and just take the essence. If you don't like it, that it is the Buddha Dhamma that I am teaching you, ignore the Buddha, just take the Dhamma. After all, that is what made the Buddha, the Buddha. So he didn't take refuge in the Buddha, did he? Have you ever heard the Buddha say, Buddhan Sannangacham? No. He didn't take refuge in the Buddha. Unless, of course, by Buddha you mean Nibbana. In which case he did. 
So I want to I want to try and make a start in that direction. So uh, what shall I say? Help me, God. As I say, you know, when you start weaving, God gives you the thread. In other words, that is vipaka, right? That is people's merit. What Guru Swaminathan always teaches me and reminds me is have a heart of gold. Be compassionate. Always be have an abundance of loving kindness to all. And then those who need your help will come your way. Because those with merits, you know, they're, they're everywhere. People with merits, like you are. They'll come your way. All you got to do is have a, have a pure heart. Have a heart of gold. Have a heart of compassion and loving kindness. And then when they come in front of you, now their merits and your compassion, together they will start doing wonders. That is what I ask all of you to do. All of you. Right from those who are regulars to the Anagarikas, Anagarikas, Swami Nohan says, as well as those who have come here today. Today is your first time here. That is what I ask of you. <clears throat> Work on yourself so you can help others. Help yourself so you can help others. You now know, right? There are people who need help. 300 million people. Hmm? That's more than 10 times the population of our country. They all need help. And if they don't, if they don't speak Sinhalese, then what? Tough luck? Hmm? Tough luck? No, no. We are their luck. We will learn the languages. We will learn every language we have to, to help them. So let's try and figure, you and I, together, right? How do we, how do we present the Dhamma so that we can help these people? <clears throat> do you see that the the common the underlying issue here the common issue here is that they're all talking about a problem that they feel comes from the outside yeah they all think that these are triggered by circumstances that take place outside in other words, what they're really saying is, we don't know how to face them. We don't know how to, how to handle them, how to tackle them. In even other words, what they're saying is, we see those situations as very different, isolated, separate situations to other situations. In other words, things are not just things to them. There are separate things. There are individual things. There are unique things. Things for them come as packages. They don't see Rupa as Rupa. They see Rupa and then they see some other Rupa. They distinguish between two types of Rupa. Answers to these problems lay there where we are able to see all Rupa as one. 
because then there is no image, there is no impression that you hold dear which does not conform with what happens in the outside. Let me break that down for you. There is no such thing as a depressed chitta. Will you accept? There is no such thing as a depressed chitta. A chitta is a chitta. A lot of the research done here, I, from what I was able to gather in the short time that I did the, the research in, they say they're not exactly sure where depression comes from, although they're, they're beginning to see that there are certain external stimuli which trigger it. But in the, in the, in the human physique, in the, in the human mind, human body, human physiology, they're not exactly able to find out what causes it. Fair enough, because they haven't still started the study of the chitta. <clears throat> so clearly they're not going to find answers until they turn those pages of that book we understand today that suffering is a creation that happens in the chitta on a base of ignorance now as I read some of those instances out to you right, such as bereavement and divorce think about that do you not see how The principles that we talk about, vexation, understanding where pleasure comes from, that it is simply a relief from vexation, understanding and recognizing that for someone to have something that they feel brings them pleasure, first of all, they need to see that object or that circumstance, that event, that person as a very separate entity to everything else. See, for instance, Take your friend, right? We can all relate to this, right? Take a friend, a close friend that you'll all know. <clears throat> Let's say your best friend, okay? Your best friend is special to you, right? Am I right? That is why you call them your best friend. Your best friend is special to you. Everyone here has a best friend. Why is your best friend? special to you. Try and come up with some answers that are based in the Dhamma. Why is your best friend your best friend? Why is he or she special to you? What is it about your best friend that makes him or her special to you? Think about it. Then you'll begin to understand where all of these problems come from. Severe loss can be when a best friend passes away, at the death of you know someone who is very close and dear to you. But so so therefore, the moment where you allowed that person, you embraced and accepted that person as your best friend, at that moment itself, you planted the seed for this, didn't you? So this is why I say you know we need to try and find very diplomatic ways of getting this message across. Because to walk up onto a stage and then say having a best friend is the problem, they'll kick us out sooner than we start. They'll kick us out. 
That's what I'm saying, you know, we, I, I, we need to do some, some thinking around how to present this. You've, you've been doing this for a long time, now you understand, you know, this is exactly what Swami Nwanze means. But how do we get there? What is a best friend? How do you define your best friend? You say that your best friend is someone who gives you pleasure. And that pleasure can be because of the things that they do, the things that they say, typically. Right? Their behavior towards you is very favorable. It's very pleasant. You enjoy that. You are happy in their presence. Perhaps even most happy in their presence. That is why you say that they're your best friend. So you see, their rupa, vedana, sanya, sankara, and vijnana. In other words, their form, sensations that you experience. I'm trying to get across something quite subtle, so I, I want you all to pay full attention. And get what I'm trying to get across to you here. Their form, as in what you see, what you hear, okay? The sounds of their voice, perhaps, the way they look, perhaps, right? The smile on their face, perhaps, all these things. This is all Rupert. Now, for, you know, for instance, if, if your friend was to give you something when you needed it, maybe a chocolate, maybe some flowers. You can't stop yourself from thinking, can you, that those flowers were given to be by my friend. That's a feeling that you get you know, almost uh, automatically. You can't stop yourself from feeling that. Who's delivering this sermon right now? Swami Nwansay, right? That's the problem. This is just Rupa. This sound is just Rupa. What you're doing right now is associating that sound, you're connecting that sound, in fact, you're separating that sound and attributing it to this package, another package which you have projected onto this. I'll say this a hundred times until the penny drops, but so try and engage with me here, right, mentally, and I'm sure you can all understand this. So right now, you're hearing a voice. You're hearing whose voice? No, you're hearing a voice. You're hearing a voice. You could even say you're hearing a sound. Who's that sound coming from? It's coming from Swami Nuhanse, Meaning, this is Swami Nuhanse's voice. See, you have now given ownership to a rupa. This rupa belongs to Swami Nuhanse. So you might say, I like that voice, I don't like that voice. Take a rupa. What you see, sight. This is, this is, this is the sight. Right? You see me. This is what I look like. This sight, you'll say, is Swami Nuhanse's. <laughs> this rupa, this rupa rupa. Yeah? This sight object, have you not given it ownership? Hmm? You give it a sense of belonging, don't you? That belonging doesn't happen here. It happens in your mind. You feel that this 
face belongs to me. But it doesn't. But you can't stop feeling that way. You feel that this voice belongs to me. But it doesn't. Why? Who does it belong to? Not me, somebody else? Hmm? No, it doesn't belong to anyone. But don't you feel that it does? Don't you sense it? That is, the, that is what happens when you separate. I'm, I'm trying to bring it to life to you, you know, real and practical examples of where you sense this separation. This you can't deny. Remember I took these two pens the other day? Hmm? And I held these two pens up and I switched the lids. I swapped the, the caps, rather. Right? And you sense that something was wrong. Because which pen does this cap belong to? The black pen is how you sense it. This is why when I swap these two round, now you feel uneasy. Don't you feel uneasy? Don't you feel unsettled? Something's not right? You know, if I left them up here, at the first opportunity you get, you're going to come and, uh, you're going to come and undo this because I have just introduced chaos into your world. There's turbulence in your world now. So fasten your seat belts. <laughs> There's mayhem in your world right now. Isn't there? See, it's just not right. Even, see, if I, if I were to do this, I'm going to draw something on the board. Okay, you ready to see? What? What? I'm going to draw something on the board, okay? Don't you feel something's wrong? It's not just a knowledge, I'm telling you. It's, it's not just a knowledge. This sankara you're not comfortable with. Because there is a sankara that you're comfortable with, this one. You don't like this one. This unsettles you. Why? Because this sankara is a separate sankara to this one. Not just through knowledge. There is a separation that happens in your mind. They are very different, very distinct. The same reason that you feel this cap does not belong to this pen. Not just through knowledge. It's not just through knowledge. You feel that unsettledness. I mean, if I said, you know, that is the way it is, just let it be. It still doesn't suit you. That feeling of unease. That is a result of that separation that happens in the mind. So you see, with that being the case, the moment the mind starts to separate things, everything in the world appears separated. You can't help it. You know, it's not that you're doing it purposefully. It is just the way it is. Because there is no one to do it. That is why you're not doing it purposefully. There is no doer here. There is just an action. There's just an effect that is driven by causes. No one's doing it. What you're experiencing right now is the effect of ignorance and attachment. That is why you feel right now that Swami Nuhansa is talking to you. This is Swami Nuhansa's voice. These are my hand movements. Aren't they? These hand, these hand movements are whose? 
my hand movements. See? You understand what I'm saying? These hand movements are my hand movements. That is why when someone smiles at you, right? When someone smiles at you, it's not enough to it's not enough that there's it's a smile. You need to know who that smile is from. That's why when some people smile, you're okay with that. When others smile, you're not okay with that. If someone smiles, say a total stranger, hmm? you're walking along the street with your partner, hand in hand, you're walking along the street, right? say ladies, right? you're walking with your husband's hand in, in your hand or your boyfriend's hand, your fiance's hand in your hand, and there's a total stranger, a lady, right? she smiles at your, at your partner, but not at you. And it's a big smile. She smiles, she says, and she winks one eye. Doesn't that unsettle you? It's fine when you do it, isn't it? If you smile, you wink, it's alright. But if someone else does it, it's not alright. Why? Because Sankara belongs to someone. That is why. In your mind, that is a sankara, isn't it? That is an action. So the winking of an eye is an action. It is not anybody's action. It's just an action. It doesn't belong to anyone. But in your mind it does. Why? Because separation happens in your mind. So every time separation happens here, everything on the outside has to separate. You have to see it that way. That is why all there is, ladies and gentlemen, is Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vinyana. This is what the Buddha keeps going on and on and on about. All there is in reality are the five aggregates. What there isn't are individuals and sentient beings and people to whom these aggregates belong to. But you can't stop feeling that way. That's the problem. Therefore, Rupa belongs to someone that is his Rupa, this is her Rupa, this is my Rupa, this is my son's Rupa, my father's Rupa and so on. These Vedana are the same. The Sanya are the same. Sankara are the same. I'm, I'm using the examples of Rupa and Sankara because they are more relatable. You can understand it better. If someone touches your hand, Okay, someone touches your hand. Can I conclude that sentence there or do you need more information before you can before you can relax? You need me to carry on, don't you? Because you have a question. Uh, imagine this, right? You're asleep. Right? You're at home, asleep. And then you feel someone clutch your hand. Okay? Right, shall we move on? Yeah. And if you, uh, you're alone at home, or at least you think you are, you're alone at home, someone touches your hand. Can we move on? Or do you have another question you want to ask me? Huh? Who? Yeah, who? Am I? <laughs> Why do you need an answer to that question? Because you have a box that says fill in the blanks. 
You can't help it. That is vexation. That is the experience of vexation. When there's a box that needs an answer filling into it. There's a blank. It needs an answer. Whose hand is it? Who just touched me? Whose voice is it? Until you get an answer to that question, you are vexed, aren't you? Now you are sat facing me. Imagine someone came and tapped on your shoulder. What, what, what's, what would go through your mind? Hmm? You want to try it? <laughs> Whoever you are, someone sat behind you, taps you on your shoulder. Before you know why they did so, you have another question that you need an answer to. What? Who was it? Because this is a sankara. That's just a sankara. It's a vedana. It's a rupa. But that's not enough. Because in your mind, they belong to someone. In other words, they have to be separated into each into compartments. This is this person's sankara, this is this person's rupa, this is this person's vedana, this person's sanya, and so on. Until then, the mind is unsettled. When you don't know who it is, like when you are, you know, uh, blindfolded. Hmm? When you are blindfolded, and you remember playing games when you were younger, right? People who come and tap you on the shoulder and run away. That's how you used to play, right? That was a game. Why? Why was that a game? Because it's not a game when you are not blindfolded. It's not fun when you are not blindfolded. It's it's it makes it all fun when once you are blindfolded. Why? That's why. Because you can vex that person by tapping them on their shoulder. That's why. Because you know, right? Pleasure is relief from vexation. You know, it's like tickling someone, isn't it? You vex them and then you allow them to relieve themselves. When you stop, they relieve. And then you tickle them again, they vex. That's why tickling is fun. <laughs> At least for the person who's giving it. Not so much for the person on the receiving end, but although they are, they are the ones who are laughing, it, it's not fun. That's why they say what? Stop it! Stop it! While laughing their guts out, they'll still ask you to do what? Ironical, isn't it? Doesn't make sense. Someone's laughing and they say, stop making me laugh. I thought you were happy when you laugh. So shouldn't we be doing more of it? So that is fun. Blindfolded and, you know, someone tapping on your shoulder trying to find out who it is. That, the whole thing is, is, is gamified because of that vexation. That box needs an answer. In other words, Rupa belongs to someone. Sankara belongs to someone. Everything at home, right? In your, in your home, doesn't it, doesn't, does it not have a belong? Someone it belongs to. Does it not have an owner? Everything has an owner. Right from your slippers, to your umbrella, to your plate, to your cup. Huh? If you have a plate or a cup or something that is reserved for you, say a toothbrush for instance, 
You walk into the washroom, someone else is brushing with your toothbrush. How does that make you feel? I'm, I'm taking really simple examples here. You know, we don't need to go to the moon and back to try and understand this because we go through this every waking moment. Someone's brushing with your toothbrush. How does that make you feel? It's a toothbrush. It's there to brush teeth. So that's exactly what it's doing right now. So what's your problem? What's your problem? Because it's my toothbrush. Says who? Ask the toothbrush. Who do you belong to? Toothbrush or toothbrush, who do you belong to? <laughs> What's the toothbrush going to say? Hmm? You're asking the wrong question. I mean, if you were doing anything other than brushing teeth, then fair enough. Like the toothbrush might go, oh, oh, oh hold on. I'm not, I'm not here for that. Right? There are places you should use to brush me and there are places you shouldn't be using me to brush. But I'm here to brush teeth. But then why do you say this toothbrush belongs to this person? You feel unsettled, don't you? That's when Jati is doing its dirty on you. Catch it while it does it. Catch it while it does it. It's doing the dirty on you. See, every time there is something that presents itself in front of you, you have to put it into, into a box. That is Rupan Rupattaya. Sankatang Abhisankaranti. Separation. Abhisankara is separation. It's the blueprint for separation. Sankara is the blueprint for separation. Abhisankara rather. Avidya Pajya Sankara. Yeah, you've heard that? Dependent origination. Again, dependent origination of what? Of what? Dependent origination of suffering. Right? So Bhava, or that one penultimate stage right before Jati, is where you have everything built. Now you just need to now cut the ribbon. Everything's built, everything's ready. Now you just need to now cut the ribbon and go in. That's when jati happens. So the whole concoction is now ready for separation. And when jati happens, you feel that separation. Abhisankara is that blueprint for that. Have I jumped too far? Hmm? Can I come back? <laughs> I'm jumping here, there and everywhere a little bit today. Because in my mind, I'm trying to find answers to this problem. <clears throat> How do we help these people? Who was that? That's not just a noise. The moment you heard that, didn't you all have a question? Hmm? Not just what was it. Well, again, you want a who. You want a who for that. Was it a lizard? Huh? Was it a gecko? Well, they're not big. Geckos aren't that big. <laughs> uh, what was it? Because that noise has to belong to someone. See? Everything has to belong to something. What is this something? That is separation. When separation happens in the mind, ladies and gentlemen, you know... It, I, I often try to get, get this message across and I'm going to try to do it again today. This feeling that you have that you are an identity and that everybody else uh, is also an identity, they're all unique individuals, <clears throat> that is simply 
the manifestation of separation. It's a manifestation of separation. Separation itself is very pure. Pure in the sense, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's vanilla, not chocolate and vanilla. Vanilla as in it's, it, it, it's just clean. It's like a it's like a blank page. It ha- it does not have any color. Separation itself. But what happens is the moment separation happens in your mind, when the moment jati happens in your mind, now through that feeling of separation, you you open your eyes, don't you? And once you open your eyes, now you see rupa. Once you open your eyes, now you, once you open your ears, you hear the sounds, smells and taste and touch and so on, and even the thoughts that come into your mind. So on a base that builds this separation, whatever rupa, whatever sight, sound, smell, taste or touch there is, it has to separate it. Is this all sounding like Greek? Hmm? I'll keep trying to bring examples so you can relate to this better. But this is a very subtle concept. I mean, it is, I suppose, the most abstract thing that you can think of because we are talking about what's happened to all of us, but something that we don't know has happened. So it is quite subtle, it is, it is abstract, but it is one you can all understand nonetheless. Think about anything in this world, right? all of you, think about just anything in this world, absolutely anything. It could be the sun, the moon, to a pebble, maybe the chair that you're on, you know, anything you, abs- you like. I have an I have a question for you and you all have an answer. The question to you is what or who does that belong to? You all have an answer. If I, if perhaps say the thing that came to your mind was the sun because that's the first thing I said. What or who does that belong to? The solar system, you'll say. So the sun belongs to the solar system. There will be others who will say that the sun belongs to the sun god. See, when they have to have someone, something belongs to, they'll, they'll create someone if they must. And they'll say the sun belongs to the sun god. The moon belongs to the moon god. The earth belongs to this god. Mars belongs to that god. Right? Because they have to belong to someone. What about the rubber tree that's outside? Who does that belong to? There's a rubber tree just outside. Who does that belong to? This monastery. Doesn't it? It belongs to this monastery. <laughs> really? Ask the rubber tree. Isn't that how you drew a fence around this, around the perimeter? And you said, this land belongs to me, this land belongs to you, so everything on this side of the fence belongs to this land, right? And therefore, everything on this land belongs to me. Says who? 
You're the only one who says that. That fence never separated anything. Some come, some people ask me this question. Swami Nasa, when we talk about separation, what are we separating from what? What is the answer, do you think, to that question? Yes. When you talk about separation, what are we separating from what? Hmm? What do you think is the answer to that question? What are we separating from what? You're asking the wrong question, aren't you? You can't have that question. Because if you're saying we are separating this from that, then you don't need to separate because it's already separate. Yeah? So you can't say, I'm separating X from Y. Because then it's already separate. So you don't need to separate X from Y. It's already separate. The very essence of what we are saying is, you can't ask that question. You're separating what from what? So am I separate to you? Or are you separate to me? Are we separate from each other? Is that what separation does? (laughs) No, it doesn't. Separation is very vanilla. It's very pure. It has no color. It's just a condition of the mind. And when that condition occurs, now everything that runs on that platform, everything that is there at that moment, appears separated. That is all that is. It, it is perceived as separate, but it wasn't separate at all. Your car is whose car? So if, some, if you see someone else getting into it, how does that make you feel? Especially if it's a new car. Hmm? You all know that feeling, the new car feeling. right? right? And you say you brought home a, a brand new car, right? And now you want to be the first person driving it, don't you? Think about it. I mean, I'm talking about real life examples. We've all been there, done that, right? Now if someone else comes and takes it for a drive, do you like that? No. Why? Because it's my car. And that newness belongs to whom? The newness belongs to me. Not just the car. The newness belongs to me. What is new? What about the car is new? Ask ask the carbon atom. Hmm? On the on this so that the, your car is leather seated, right? Nice, okay. And your steering wheel is also leather clad, right? Let's go in. There's a there's a there's a carbon atom there. Ask the carbon atom, how new are you? Do your carbon dating, you'll get the answer. It will say we are six hundred and seventy five million years old. But you say it's new, don't you? See, this is where depression comes from. Depression. Because you misread, misinterpret things, you misinterpret the truth. What you, what you project to the outside world is not the truth, ladies and gentlemen. That is why depression occurs. If I had, if I had a new something, right? Okay, let's say, um, both of these were fragile. Okay? Let's imagine. If I drop them, they'd break. One I just bought from the shop. This one I'd had, I've had for about a year. Which one hurts you more? If I were to drop them. This one, brand new. This one I've had for a year. Or you've had for a year. Right? They both belong to you. 
right? If I drop this, which one would hurt you more? Hmm? The brand new one, right? Why? This is Buddhism. Okay, this is practical Buddhism. I need you to find answers to real life problems. I'm not here to tell you whether there's life after, uh, after death. I'm here to talk to you about the problems that affect you while you're still alive. The problems that you go through every day. Uh, the hells that you create for yourselves. And burn in. The furnaces of desire, aversion and delusion that you put yourselves through. Why does this hurt you more than this? Because you say, this is brand new, I just got it. And this you've had for a year, so it's an old one. This is a new one. What about this is new and what about this is old? But you feel it that way, don't you? You can't stop feeling that. That's the thing, because it's an effect. That's why you can't stop it. You can't stop it by willpower. Because willpower is not necessary to cause it. If it were, then changing your will would stop the cause, would stop the effect. But that is not one of the causes. Ignorance is the cause. The very fact that these two can be separated. So now you have new things in this world and you have old things in this world. You see, you've used time to separate. That is why time is an illusion. Oh, we talked about this many, many, many sermons ago. Time is an illusion. Time helps you to separate. That's what time does. When you look at the world through the lens of time, now you have new things and you have old things. You have not just new things, you have brand new things. Hmm? That is just a little bit more new than new. Brand new. Think about it. And it affects you. Like if, if you have a, um, you, you just brought your car from the showroom, right? And someone comes and bumps into it. Doesn't your heart skip a beat? Whereas you have an old banger. Hmm? A banger is a motor vehicle. Now you have an old banger, you've had it for a few years, right? And maybe uh, you know, you're out in the, uh, on the street and uh, someone's walking to the shop and they just, they just bump into it. You know, you're like, hey, watch where you're going. That's all you'd say. You know, you don't just like pull up and get out of the car and go and check you if your if your if your if your paintwork is okay. It doesn't bother you so much. But if it's brand new, now you're very concerned. Why? Think about this. These are the problems that affect you day in, day out. That's why I'm asking you to look at life through the lens of Dhamma. This is what you need to do when you walk out of here. This is what you need to do. How come you have new things in, in your life and there are old things? Then there are newborns. Who's a newborn? You know, what there is out there are simply configuration changes. That is all there is. The configuration of energy is constantly evolving. That is fair enough because the causes are changing, therefore the effects are changing. The configuration of, cha of energy is always evolving. What you see is simply a configuration of that energy. You know, imagine if energy could be quantified, as they say, quantums of energy. 
right? Packets of energy. If we were to take these packets and rearrange them, you'd get this. If you were to take that and rearrange it, you'd get, you'd get this. But it's the same energy. Just rearranged. But when you don't see it that way, now there are new things, there are old things, there are aging things, there are decaying things. These are the causes for depression. Now there are events in your life which are more significant than others. Isn't a birthday a significant event? Hmm? What about Monday? Which one is more significant for you? A Monday or a birthday? Birthday, right? Why? You all have a birthday, right? Whatever day of the year. Isn't that day special? Huh? Let's say it's the 1st of April. As it ought to be. For you people. Huh? Let's say it was your birthday, the 1st of April. Uh, that day is special. It is very special, and it's 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 acutely distinguishable, is it not, from all the other 364 days of the year? So much so that you look forward to that day right from the start of the year, don't you? Or at least from the start, the moment your birthday is passed, you now wait a whole year uh, because that day is very special to you, is it not? How come? How is that day special? Because you feel that is your day. Your day. A whole day belongs to you. This is my day. But ask the person next to you. Is that day special? Hmm? No. So it's only special to you. But you can't stop feeling that it's a special day. You feel it, don't you? Yeah. You sense it. You sense something very special, but there is nothing innately special about it. How does that happen? This is jati. This is th- these are the causes of de- depression, ladies and gentlemen. Because you so you see, if there's someone who's who's eagerly looking forward, right, for a birthday wish, and they don't get it, that might be enough to send someone into depression. So where do we have to change? Make sure that they get their birthday wish. How can I fix that? Or do I just try and explain to them? That there is no such thing as a special day. Our answers are always solutions in the minds of those who receive them. Therefore, we don't give answers to change all the all the events in the outside world, because there are there are far too many, far too numerous. You can't go fixing all world's problems, but we can fix one: the problem of jati. That is the first noble truth. All of suffering is based in that. That is the first noble truth. All suffering is based in jati. That is the truth. That is the truth that these people don't know. That is the truth. A loved one is very special to you, but, it's, but he or she is not very special to, to somebody else, someone unknown to them. Your best friend is only your best friend. It is nobody else's. He or she is nobody else's. Your husband, your wife, your partner is very special to you, 
but they they weren't that all that special to you were they before you decided that they were going to be yours until then they weren't special to you were they then does that not confirm isn't that enough evidence that there is no such person that is special it's just the way you perceive them But if we can't see it that way, and we think that there are special people in our lives, in other words, we separate them from everybody else. Now, a mother cries when her child dies. See? A mother cries when her child dies, or at least the child that she believes is hers. It doesn't have to be her child. She just has to believe that. What a joke. It doesn't have to be hers. If they got swapped at the hospital, hmm? now the mother cries for someone else's child because she believes that's my child. Just imagine, right? Just imagine your child doesn't really resemble you by their facial features, not a lot like you. Okay? But, you know, you've always thought that this is my child. One day someone comes up to you and says, Madam, I've got some news I need to break to you. Right? Fifteen years ago, right? When your daughter was born, she got swapped at the hospital. I was paid to do it. So I've come to you, I've kept this as a secret for all these years, but I can't keep it a secret anymore. Right? So I'm sorry, I've, I've got to give it to you. I just, it's weighing, it's been weighing on my mind, right? I've got to give it to you. Your daughter is not yours. Now, I have a question. Let's say someone just comes up to you randomly and says this, right? They say, see, I've also got a, a document to prove it. I was paid this much money to do it for these reasons and so on. They'll explain to you and they'll walk away, right? From that day on, hmm, will you see your daughter? the same way you did for the last 15 years. Come on, speak up. (laughs) Will you? No, you won't. Not because you're a bad mother, but you can't help it because it's not something you do. There's no doer here. There are just causes and effects. That's why. You can't help it. It's not because you're a bad mother. But what about your child has changed over the last, that hasn't changed over the last 15 years? What changed in the last two minutes? What changed? Nothing. Nothing changed. She's the same daughter that she was 15 years. Two minutes ago, it was the same girl. And now, once that man goes away, you call your daughter. Puta, come here. Now she comes up to you. And now when your eyes meet, you know something's not right. Huh? Now she's separate again. She's separate again. But if she wasn't your daughter, she wasn't your daughter for the last 15 years. It's not like it happened just now. But this new knowledge, what I'm trying to prove to you, the point I'm trying to prove to you, ladies and gentlemen, is on this platform, on this stage of separation, whatever data gets fed in is soaked up 
to confirm that separation. You know, separation just just goes about doing its business. Whatever data you put onto it, it uses it for that purpose. It's not like this new piece of information is what separated this girl from who she was to be. You've always been doing that. It just she just got onto the stage. That's all. You're acting on this stage. Okay, the name of the drama is separation. Right? That is the name of the drama. You're here to separate. So whoever gets on the stage, the role that they have to play in your life is to help you separate. Therefore, it matters not what data that comes your, comes your way. It matters not what sight, sound, smell, taste or touch that comes your way. matters not what Rupa Vedana, Sanya, Sankara or Vinyana that comes your way. Because once you're in the business of separation, everything that comes to you, Is used for that. That is how it works. That is why no matter what comes into your life, you always have a compartment to put it into. That's why. That is why you're always looking for an answer to the question, who? Not how. Who? If someone, if you see half a sandwich, you're hungry, Okay, there's half a sandwich. Someone's eaten the other half. Before you dig into it, you need to find an answer to another question. I mean, it's the sandwich. It'll do what you want it to do. What we want it to do? You're hungry. That's why you're eating the sandwich. Won't it do that? Does it matter who's had the other half? No. But you need an answer to a question. Who ate the other half? Okay? So then, say, someone you, you like, someone you love, maybe your friend or maybe you know, your partner, say, ah, it's fine, I, I had the other half, you can have this. Ah, all right, fine, you have it. But let's say it's a stranger, someone you don't know. Hmm? Someone you, you don't know, someone, complete stranger. You know what you do? Here's what you do. Tell me if I'm making this stuff up, okay? Imagine this is your sandwich. That's a half-eaten sandwich, right? Because that would be how it was bit into. If your your other half said, "This is this is the sandwich that I ate," so please, you know, you can go ahead and have it. You will start eating from here. But it will, if it was a stranger, you need a knife before you can continue. No, no. Oh yes. What for? Ah, you got to cut this part out. <laughs> this you can eat. Why? These are the important questions in life. Why? Why is this okay? But it wasn't earlier. Because, what? Well, a stranger had it. And maybe he's got all his saliva on it. Uh, it touched his mouth, her mouth. I don't know what he might have in there. But it's still, it's a stranger. Even if, even if I were to give you a certificate, right? This man is kosher. Nothing wrong with him. He's all right. Right? It still won't settle you. You still need to cut that part out. 
Now you can eat it because now this sandwich doesn't belong to anybody. This one belongs to you. But with that part on top, it belongs to somebody else. But if it was your friend or maybe your wife or your husband or someone, your child, that's all right. That's okay. Because then it belongs to you. That, that eating was done. Eating is a sankara. Right? That eating was done by someone that belongs to you so that that eating was part of your, your scope of belonging. But this eating, because it was done by a stranger, is not part of your, it's not part of your comfort zone. That was a separate eating. Somebody else's eating. See? Yes or no? Tell me if I'm making this stuff up. Hmm? I gave you the other day the example of you know drinking out of a glass hmm, or a cup. What do they do at the wedding? I both have to drink from the same place, right? Also the same straw. Huh? That is how it's. That is how you should do it. But if someone else had drunk from it, just imagine, right, folks? Think about this. Okay, if this was the only cup that we had, okay, and someone took a sip of water or whatever the liquid was in here, right, from here, this place, right? Can I draw it here? Lab of life. <clears throat> Okay, they've got uh, black lipstick. I mean, that's what you look for, right? The lipstick mark. Huh? Huh. So someone's got black lipstick, and they and they drank from from this part of the from this part of the cup, right? And this was presented to you now. What would you do? You're hunting for a safe spot. <laughs> Why? Think about it. Why? Because you don't want their stuff going into you. Hmm? But if it was a loved one, if it was a friend, if it, if it was someone who belongs to you, if it was someone who you've separated for yourself, then it's okay. But as it's not, now it's not okay. Because we are separate. See? But if you did a chemical analysis of what's here, what would you find? You'll find saliva, right? That is, the, that is a substance. But if you kept on digging deeper, right? In the lab, you might say most of that is water. And maybe some enzymes, right? Ultimately, you're just going to be hydrocarbons. Just natural stuff. All stuff that you'd find in the uh, periodic table. Okay, if you turn it around, and now, so that was from a stranger. But what if it was from your from your wife? Now is it some other kind of carbon? If that was from the this was on the periodic periodic table, where does your wife come from? See, but even the saliva, the water molecules. The carbons, the hydrogens, the oxygens, the nitrogens, even they, you separate in your mind. You can't help it. I'm telling you, you can't help it. You're not doing this deliberately. You're not doing this out of will. It's just happening to you and you have no control over it. Because there's no doer here. 
It's just cause and effect. I need you to understand the cause and effect principle. And because there's cause and effect, what's happening is this is suffering. You don't see the jati here. This is suffering. This is separation. But technically, what is there to separate? Nothing. It's all the same stuff. But you can't help it. Because you see this on a platform, on the stage, on the drama that is called separation. So that being the stage, no matter who gets onto it, they appear separated. That is what you can't help. Same principle here with the sandwich. Therefore, depression. What is loneliness? Huh? What is loneliness? For, for someone to feel lonely, you know, there's, there's something really ironical about this loneliness, okay? <laughs> You'll laugh as well after you've heard what I have to say. There's something really ironical about loneliness. Why does loneliness happen? Oh, wait, wait. What is this feeling of loneliness? When you're alone and separate from everybody else, right? And there's no one to talk to you, no one to be with you, right? No one to spend time with you. That is loneliness, right? That is what brings about this feeling of being isolated, being alone, right? So meaning you are separated from everybody else. What was the cause of loneliness? Hmm? So <laughs> what was the cause of loneliness? You separated yourself from everybody else. Before that separation, all was one. Yeah? All was one. There was no separation. Then there is no separation. You separate yourself from everybody else and now you say, I'm lonely. <laughs> Do you see the irony? Don't these people need help? See, they're making a stick for their own backs. That's why I say, you know, they need help. We've got the answers. But loneliness is an epidemic. There are people who go commit suicide because they feel lonely. For some people it's a curse. They feel suicidal. And they go into manic depression because they have no one to talk to. You know, some of the, uh, some of the uh, advice that was given in some of these sheets were when you have difficult situations in life, you know, don't don't find, keep, don't keep yourself alone. Go and talk to other people, I and mean, that's all good. But what if you're lonely? Now imagine someone who doesn't like to be with anybody else. Right? They they isolate, they separate themselves. Why do, why don't people like to be with others? Think about that as well for a second. I mean, parents, if you have children who are like that, for instance, right? They always want to separate themselves from others. Right? They just don't want to mingle with everybody else. They just want to keep themselves to themselves. Right? It is, that is because of a deep sense of separation that is going on in their minds. Reason being, there's Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vinyan, or sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, whichever you want to look at it, that they cling on to. They cling on to so much that there is a stark 
difference between what they that what they like to cling on to and and everything else that's out there in other words let's say say someone is an introvert right they don't they don't they don't like going they're not a very outgoing kind of person right they just want to be by themselves you know maybe be in their bedrooms you know just shut themselves from the world right some people are like that some people are like that for a period of time right but there are some people who are characteristically that is in their nature okay that is because there is a certain kind of existence which they cling on to that they have separated from everything else in this world and for them that is the crucible they need that for their for their mere existence that separation that that separated feeling i oh at least you know maybe the the sights and the sounds and the smells and the taste right, because that's after all that's all the mind experiences right that they have become so accustomed to maybe they like silence but silence itself is a rupa that they cling on to they have separated silence from sound they have separated certain sights from other sights they they like this they, they like the look of their room but nothing else they don't want to step outside their uh, outside their bedrooms maybe there are very few friends that they might associate because their comfort zones are micro size they're so small meaning these are the things that they have separated from a vast universe that's what they've done and arahant is quite the opposite for them anything goes right so their comfort zone expands and extends the entire universe another way you could look at it is they don't have a comfort zone so that you can think of it as being collapsing or expanding to ex- absorb the entire universe take it one way or the other but not both ways right so if you assume that an arahant is someone who's expanded their comfort zone to absorb the entire universe now someone who's who's an introvert is someone who has a very tiny a very tiny comfort zone hardly anything ever fits into it hardly anything ever fits into it because they 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 have isolated this portion from the world and they cling on to it like their very life depends on it you'll see this in children sometimes and and sometimes it can be stressful events in their life that have caused this because you say you know sometimes maybe they were a bit more outgoing they used to be okay but something happened maybe someone someone they trusted right cheated on them maybe a good friend right? they were backstabbed by someone something else happened maybe something that they loved was taken away from them i that traumatic experience forced them right to 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 smaller to to make smaller their comfort zone and now this is all they trust their world of trust is just this so for some people it's very tiny they won't even step outside that and so very few things can keep them sane tiny amendments tiny adjustments can completely throw them off guard and they'll feel completely like you know a fish out of water the moment that happens so the chances of them falling into depression are huge because very small comfort zones so i don't see any answer other than taking time with them and explaining to them the truth the dhamma is the answer 
to slowly, lovingly, compassionately try and explain to them that you are the architect of your own suffering. See, this is what you built. You're the architect. You did this to yourself. You did this to yourself. We slowly help them to realize that this is the same as this, 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 is the same as this. Now if this is all the same, you don't need to be like this anymore, do you? You can go like this. And if this is the same as this, now you don't have to be like this anymore, you can go like this. What if on the other side the same happened? If this is the same as this, now you can have a much bigger circle. And then now, keep on extrapolating this. Hmm? If here is the same as there, if there is the same as the other place, and if it's all the same everywhere, now, the entire world, you feel you're at home. For that, the only answer is, you got to see beyond this separation. You got to understand that all there is, is the same thing. Separation is simply a manifestation of ignorance, right? And then this loneliness is simply a symptom of that. That is why I say, ladies and gentlemen, we have answers to these people. We need to help them. If loneliness leads someone to commit suicide, I mean, what a shame that is. What a pity that is. They don't need to be like that. Ten-year-old, come on. A ten-year-old. What do they know about the world? And they're talking about symptoms of depression. We need to up our game sooner rather than later. Now, these are all human beings who've come into this world with a, with a fine chance, right? a fine and fair chance of, of freeing themselves from all suffering. They've come into the world at a time that the Buddha's Dhamma prevails. Hmm? Any, not, you know, even, a, even an animal who comes into this world in the, in the era of a Buddha is, is a fortunate one. Even an animal. What more can be said about a human being? So you see, you need to understand this concept first so we can help other people. That is why I am always about you know, taking a very practical approach to, to the Dhamma and, and, and trying to absorb these things as you live your lives, folks. So you know, that's why I say you know, when, you're, when you're out there, when you're going into, your, into the bathroom and you need to take your brush, if someone else has used it, you know, and then you will feel that unease inside. Take a moment and ask why. Asking that question is what puts you into Yoniso Manasikara. Don't just stop at what has happened. Ask yourself why it's happening. Because in the why you'll find the answers. If someone gives you a half-eaten biscuit, right, and you feel a sense of a tiny bit of resentment towards it, or maybe um, repulsion towards it, then you've got to ask yourself why. Some people, you know, they don't like blood, the sight of blood, right? I think, you know, through the Dhamma, we can even find answers to things like phobias. 
if you did a survey, you know, most people in this world, they'll have some kind of phobia. Either afraid of the dark, or maybe scared of spiders, right? Or maybe blood, maybe tall places, right? Maybe being alone, maybe being in a small room. They're all phobias. All because they are separate from everything else. That's why. Why do you have arachnophobia? Because a spider is a very separate being to all other beings. That's why. Why do you have claustrophobia? That's because small spaces are very separate spaces to all other spaces. That's why. See, they are all projections of a mind that yearns to separate. On that platform, everything is game for separation. Everything is game for separation. Because that's the drama that the mind has come to play thanks to ignorance. I, I just, I, you know, I feel we are so empowered, ladies and gentlemen. You know, we can help people out there. We, and we need to. That is why I urge you all, all of you, you know, learn a language. Right? So we can take the Buddha's message far and wide to every mother and father and every son and every daughter Every man, woman and child, you know, they're all deserving of the Dhamma. Because the Dhamma doesn't belong to every, anybody, it belongs to everybody. Every ailing mind, the Dhamma belongs to. Wherever there is ignorance, okay? Wherever a mind has ignorance, that mind is deserving of the Dhamma. He is a rightful owner of the Dhamma. Because that is who the Buddha came into this world for. Ignorant minds. The Buddha did not come into this world for Arahants. He came into this world for ignorant minds. So if you are an ignorant mind, then the Buddha is for you. That is what he came for. His message is for you. What I have tried to do today is to give you a few examples to, to try and understand how this separation works. You know, how, how, how much the mind wants separation is evident in some of the creations that the mind has, has made for itself. Like time, for instance. All there is are moments that are dependent on causes. But now, when the mind wants to talk about how long it has been, now it has to talk, it, has to, it needs a reference point, doesn't it? It needs a scale to talk about, I was here, I was here, I was here, I was here, and I am here now, and I will be here, I will be here, I will be here. Because whenever you sense existence, now you need to talk about how long you've been existing and how long you in intend to exist. Otherwise, you don't need time. Time is a scale that has been invented by the mind to talk about the story of existence. That is what it is. That is how, how, how profoundly and how chronically this mind is ill. An ailing mind. That is why we are in the business of mending minds and healing hearts. Because to us, you know, there are no good people and bad people. All we see are minds. We want to help everybody. Anybody who wants help, we are happy to help. 
you know, whether they're murderers or thugs or drug addicts, philanderers, rapists, matters not to us. Because what we, one thing we do know is hurt people, hurt people. So who's hurt first? The hurt one. So who does the dumb belong to first? The hurt one. Because the Buddha came into this world for hurt people. So that is who we need to give the Dhamma to first. The people who go around hurting people. Because they are hurt people. So if we heal them, then they'll go around not hurting people, healing people. Because healed people, heal people. Hurt people, hurt people. What are we doing? We go around healing people. Because that's what's happening to us. So I don't care, you know, who comes and sits on one of these chairs. If they are here because they are hurt, then the Dhamma belongs to you. You are deserving of the Dhamma. So I don't care who you are. I don't care what, what you've done, what bad you've done, what terrible things you've done in your life. I don't care. I don't care whether you're straight or you're gay. I don't care. I don't care whether you're homosexual or heterosexual or you're... I don't care. I don't care whether you have one wife or two wives. I don't care. If you need a wife, you have a problem. Not whether you have one wife or two wives. I don't care whether you do drugs or you do alcohol right? or you kill for fun. I don't care. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's welcome if you're suffering. If you're not suffering, you don't need to come. If you're in pain, if you're burdened by the pressures of life, you're welcome. Young or old, black or white, I don't care. Should we? Should we care? We don't care because we care. That's why we don't care. We don't care about your differences. Because in one thing we are all united. Aren't we? Ignorance and attachment have got the better of us. There we are all united. That is all we care about. That is why when we have new people come to the monastery, I always invite our regulars to look after them. Make them feel at home. Guru Swami always goes on about this. Especially to us. Our Anagarikas and Anagarikas and to the monks. If ever someone new comes in, walks into the monastery and wishes to become an Anagarika or an Anagarika, he always says, make them feel at home. Make them feel that this is where their heart is. Because first they need to stay, they need to decide to stay. And sometimes their decision is not based in an understanding of the Dhamma. Sometimes it's been simply because they feel that they, you know, they receive love and affection and care. That's why. They feel that their guilt, we don't judge, we don't judge their guilt. What mistakes they might have done, what shortcomings they might bring here, we don't judge. Because what we know is, it, it's a hurt person. Hurt person hurt people. If you're hurt, you're hurt. You hurt. 
that's you know you were hurt in the first place that's where we want to fix that is what you're all helping us do here that's why you know when we do a merit transfer we thank everyone we transfer these merits to everyone every soul who's done whatever they can to help move us one step forward today well whether that is in offering arms or giving me a robe uh, or offering me a glass of water or putting this board up here setting up that camera so that there can people outside here you know the world out there can listen to it helping us come here helping us settle down everything so we're all part of this as we should be and as we ought to be so make this a very practical business the dhamma right so whenever you're out there whenever you're going about doing just day to day things see if you can apply the principles of the dhamma and fi- and and try and work out how it is because of your need for separation all this all these projections of your mind bring you nightmares your possessions are some of your greatest are the cause of some of your greatest sufferings your possessions that is because those things belong to you that's why those things belong to you we've talked about this many times right a water bottle is is to drink water from is to hold water it's not it was not made to be yours but you can't help yourself from feeling that it is my water bottle and when you do if someone else takes it if someone else takes a drink of water from it it bothers you so that was not them who who caused that you caused it upon yourself and all the relations that you have with each other right all those connections family bonds right cousins nephews nieces right some people like a big family right some people enjoy a, a big family i like a big family some people might say right i like to have a, an extended family and we like to get along with each other and always you know live like that from a worldly sense yes that makes sense and it it it'll sound good right a nice thing to do perhaps you know that is how sudhaminis live but each time you make one of those connections you're plugging yourself into a yeah yeah you're asking for trouble because every time you make something yours every time you feel that sense of belonging right then that is an uh, that is another avenue opened up for you to suffer you remember is kole amini from the book hmm? all she does is suffer isn't she oh <laughs> she always crying for something or the other always crying because if something happens to the son she's crying something happens to the daughter she's crying if something happens to the daughter's friend she's crying she's always crying all she does is cry she might be a good mother but you know she's what she does is as a mother is cry that's not what mothers deserve to do they deserve to be happy look at these mothers 
Not a mother to one person, but a mother to the whole world. That is why they are always happy. They are here to make everybody happy, not just one person. So when you belong to all, right, all the joy in this world belongs to you. That is the way it works. So whenever your mind seeks this separation, right, this is a very abstract concept. So, you know, one of, that is why sometimes, you know, it, it seems like it's a, it's a very raw subject. I, I mean, I can talk to you about going to the four great hells and how you shouldn't be doing dirty, bad things, right? Taking things that don't belong to you and so on. Uh, those are very pragmatic issues. But this, we, we are talking about a very abstract concept. That is why it might sound a bit raw, but ultimately this is the truth because this is not a truth that you can see through your eyes. This is a truth that you can only see through realization, through your wisdom mind. But the truth is this, all of, all of suffering is rooted in this suffering. So therefore, wherever you look for treatment, wherever you look for cures, look only there. Every other effort brings you no closer to your salvation. And that is the Buddha's gift to all of us, the Four Noble Truths. All of suffering is based on that suffering, jati. That is the first noble truth. And all of that is caused by attachment. That is the second noble truth. So therefore, when you cease attachment, you cease all suffering. That is the third noble truth. So the path to the cessation of the cause of suffering or attachment is the fourth noble truth. There you go, the four noble truths. That's all people need. That is all all of them need. All of, the, all of they need. That is all all of them need. So practically, when you're out and about, always make sure that you try and understand the world through the lens of Dhamma. Look for situations in your mind where you try and separate things from one another. Even when you're with your children, Ask yourself, do I feel that this daughter is my daughter? Then you have a problem, mothers. That my feeling is based in ignorance. It is not something that your daughter has. Okay? So you've got to think of it that way. But you have duties and responsibilities to fulfill. That is true. Right? That is because that is, that is, what, we, that is, a, that is what we do. That is a convention. And we have to adhere to that. That is why if you choose to become, say, a nun or a monk, right, at that moment, then there's a line that is drawn. Yeah, so, you know, say if I had a, if I had a child, and I, as a father, at, at some point if I chose to become a monk, right, I would be able to draw a line and say that is where my duties and responsibilities cease. From there on, somebody else, or you know, once we've arranged all that, the child has to look after himself, or the mother is going to look after the child, and I move on. Right from there on, my duties and responsibilities are no longer expected in the same way as I would have been as a lay father. So again, isn't that evidence that this fatherhood, motherhood, and the duties and responsibilities are a convention? Otherwise, becoming a monk will not stop you from having to fulfill those duties. But now what happens is, as a monk, your 
duties to a to a child goes from one child to every child that's what happens so all children in this world become like your child because no longer do you look at your child through the lens of separation all you see is a mind that is suffering so that is the business we are here to do so what do i ask of you try and always be mindful of what's going on here try and look at the world through the lens of dhamma right wherever you spot separation remind yourselves that this is the problem here and when you come to those group discussions with our swami nohanses right use those as perfect opportunities for you to discuss them and try and find solutions uh, in the future we will do meditation programs and so on so you can you know seek help there as well but in the meantime right wherever you can whenever you can and however you can try and learn a, you know one or two languages so that when we are ready to take this globally right you can also help us perhaps it might be to write a book you know if you're not if you're not keen on preaching the dhamma maybe it is to write a book maybe to write a, a short article maybe it is to translate a book into another language right these are all things that people you can do so you don't have to become a monk for that all you need is a few spare hours of the day right? and you can do something like that so collectively we can do so much that is what i ask of you all so i'll give you more on what we are doing to help people with depression in the future i i feel now is the time i didn't realize it was such a big problem so you know what i can say is uh, my apologies for my ignorance i didn't know clinical depression was such a big problem and armed with the answers i just feel that every passing day is a wasted opportunity there are so many people we can help out there and i want to do that and I, and we will do that as i said if i have to travel the world i'll do it only if my teacher wants me to do it. there's always that caveat but uh, it if it has to be it has to be done then i think he'll ask me before i go and ask him okay let us take a moment to transfer the merits we have all acquired today and let us also resolve that you know may by the power of these merits all those people out there who are deserving of our help who are deserving of the truth who are who must seek and find refuge in the noble triple gem may they do so may they do so very soon let us take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the noble triple gem listening to the dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today first and foremost remind us let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the lord buddha's teaching and with immense gratitude let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis upasakas and upasikas who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the tripitaka which is thankfully available to us today to study understand and comprehend the dhamma Let us transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters, who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us transfer these merits to Guru Swami Mahanse, as well as all the teachers resident at the monastery, 
and the Anagarikas and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. So let's take a moment to transfer this medicine and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by translating these sermons, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them. And may through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the warful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibban. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. May through the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibban. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers, fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped, supported and assisted us in any way, shape or form. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibban. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Samudrasasana. Let us transfer merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may, through the power of these merits, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us, and to all those who have been families, friends, and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara, and to those who have helped, supported, and assisted us along the way. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. And may all those who lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits we have acquired today. Let us transfer merits to all those who lost their lives in natural calamities such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, pandemics, blizzards, forest fires and so on. Reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in Sansara. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to them. And may the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the warful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And let us all resolve that may through the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may through the power and all of the blessings that we have acquired throughout the day, you and I, and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become an arahat nuhanse, an arahat terane nuhanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. And the members of the Mahasangha will now transfer their blessings to you all. Ragaginnidatva <laughs> 
सुखित तार निवान परम सुखयन सुखित तार ममद सियलोक सियलो सत्मयो निपान परम सुखयन सुखित तार निपान परम सुखयन सुखित तार निबान परम सुखयन सुखित तार राग अनंत महागुण बेलेन सिर लोक सिर सत्यम निबान परम सुखेन सुखित तरवेत्वा साधु साधु साधु